So there are some experiences in life that just come really naturally for us. As silly as it sounds, nobody has to convince you to enjoy your favorite foods. Uh, my wife and I, we love Mexican food, uh, mainly because it's God's food. It's, it's the best food on planet Earth. Uh, and we eat way too much of it. We have a place that we go pretty regularly, um, and we go there so much that we're, we're like family for the people. I think they're inviting us over for the holidays, uh, the people, that, the staff there. Um, but I, I think when we die in the reception area in heaven, because I imagine there's a lobby that you got to wait for your name to be called, um, but I think there's going to be like an unlimited chips and salsa and guacamole bar, and you just get to feast, and they, it doesn't make you fat because it's heaven. And, and then when you get called into heaven, there's going to be this giant Mexican buffet uh, uh, food because, again, it's God's favorite food. Uh, but but any, anybody with me on Mexican food? Yeah, okay, okay, good. None of this sushi stuff. They're not serving that in heaven. No, 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 no. Because nobody has to convince me that tacos are delicious. It's not like I'm like, well, I don't know, right? But any coffee lovers in the house, right? Like no, nobody has to coerce you in the mornings to drink coffee. In fact, you'd probably fight them if they tried to come between you and your coffee first thing in the morning. Nobody has to teach you to love the music that you love. You just loved Creed from the moment you heard them. And you're driving down the road and arms wide open comes on. Nobody has to convince you to sing along at the top of your lungs and to mimic that guy's mumbly, grunting, angsty, yet somehow whiny voice when he starts singing. And when you hear him wondering if you can take, if you can take him higher, you just somehow know that you can. You can do it. Because we can't just help what we love, right? Like it just comes naturally to us. Even something as complicated as human relationships. We don't actually have to be taught to crave connection and intimacy and belonging and love. I mean, falling in love is this really complex thing that happens to us, but for the most part, it just sort of happens. It's not something you have to work at. You're just a natural. Now, of course, staying in love, that's a completely different story. But falling in love is natural and easy. As a dad, I have four kids, and I've always been amazed at how naturally and easy it is for them to make friends, especially when so many adults can be so awkward at it. Um, but, but whether it's at the park or a, the pool or a grocery store or wherever, kids are just kind of naturally drawn to other people and to other kids. We have a six-year-old. He's our youngest. His name is Kelton, and, uh, and he's never met a stranger in his life. He loves people. A few months ago, we were at Albertsons, and he just happened to, um, like we were standing in an aisle, and I heard him, he, he was standing down the aisle uh, with my wife, and I just heard him talking, and I was like, who's he talking to? I looked down, and he's just like, he's just having a full-blown conversation with these complete strangers, and, uh, and then they come walking down, and he's like, hey, Dad, uh, those are my new best friends, um, and I was like, all right, uh, maybe, have you heard of stranger danger? Like, let's talk, let's talk about, but it's only as we grow up that the thing that comes so naturally to us when we're young starts to feel kind of foreign and forced and full of landmines, right? But, but then there are parts of, our, of, of the human experience which, which don't seem to come so automatically. They're not, they're not so natural, no matter who we are. They, they seem to be a struggle almost universally across the board. So la- last month, we began this journey through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, through Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And, and, and we, as we've been going through, some of, some of the, the harder things that Jesus had to say in this particular sermon 
they, they really speak into the moments and the places in our lives that are most challenging and difficult and a struggle. Like last week, we landed in this place where we spent the whole time talking about this idea where Jesus says that we need to love our enemies. I mean, is there anything more difficult than loving, than loving an enemy? Well, it turns out there might be, and we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But right after Jesus talked about loving your enemies, he, he actually begins to address things like our, our motivations for why we do even the good things that we do or, or, or even the God things that we do. Because nobody has to teach us to want to make ourselves to look good in front of other people. We just naturally are good at managing our image for others. There's just, there's, there's so much virtue signaling in our culture right now, right? But, but people from every political stripe trying to demonstrate how good and moral and ethical and virtuous they are. But it isn't anything new. It's, it's really a game that humanity's kind of played from the beginning is that we want to send the right signals. And, and, and if you've grown up in church like I do, like people have been virtue signaling in church from the time, like from the time that people started gathering as a church. Right, so Jesus explains that our motives matter, that, that when you pray or you give or you're generous or you're doing good, that, that if your motivation is for people to see you, if your motivation is for recognition and applause and approval, that, that God is not impressed. And whatever recognition and praise and street cred you got for doing that thing that you did, no matter how seemingly important it was in the moment, that that recognition was its own reward, but it's empty and it's fleeting and it's meaningless. And that there's nothing truly noble or lasting or eternal about that specific act if that was your motivation. And so Jesus is like, don't be like that and definitely don't give like that and definitely don't pray like that. And then he begins the teaching his disciples and the crowd that's there. He begins teaching them how to pray, which is where we're gonna actually pick up the story and join what he's saying. So in Matthew chapter six, Beginning with verse nine, it says this. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So last year, in the run-up to us launching our church, we actually did an entire series on the Lord's Prayer, and so we're not gonna try to tackle it all today, but there's one part that Jesus actually gives a little bit of uh, extra time and attention to um, that we're gonna zero in on, and, and that's the idea of forgiveness. And so Jesus goes from tackling something that comes really, really natural and easy for all of us, even though it's not good, which is the impulse to try to make ourselves look good, and, and then he starts pressing in on something that's really universally difficult which is forgiving other people. And so he says these words. He says, pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I, that first part is not really a problem. That first part I get. I know I need God's forgiveness. It's the second half of that equation that's a little trickier. See, what, what Jesus is making obvious all the way through the Sermon on the Mount is that God doesn't just want to reconcile you to himself. He wants to reconcile you to the people in your life, including the ones who have hurt and wounded and wronged you. You and I need and were meant to receive forgiveness from God and from each other, but we were also created to need and we were meant to give it away. But that's where the problem comes in, right? Because 
People are just stupid and they're jerks. It's so much harder for me to give it to you than it is for me to receive it from God. Receiving it is free. Receiving it feels good. Receiving it feels right. But giving actually, giving it to you costs me something. Giving it is a struggle. Giving it feels, to be honest, it feels wrong. Because I I want to punish them. I don't want to let them off the hook. Have you ever had somebody who really hurt you and really offended you, but the problem was that there were other people around when it happened? And so you felt like you needed to kind of pretend like it didn't hurt. And so you, were, you acted cordial and friendly in the moment, maybe even spiritual. Because in a lot of settings that I'm in, like I'm the pastor, like I'm the guy that's the pastor. And so when people are mean to me in my head, I'm like, I have to act like a pastor right now, whatever that would act like. And, and have you ever had that moment where you, you couldn't let what was happening on the inside out because it just there was it was just way too strong it wasn't the appropriate time but inside you were seething and so eventually you just kind of excuse yourself and you go home and you nurse that wound for a while and you just couldn't wait for that moment when you could very calmly and rationally help the other person know exactly what they had done to you but then they have the audacity to come and talk to you as if they don't like as if they didn't even do anything wrong and everything's fine I mean, is there anything more irritating than someone who has offended you, but they don't even know that they've offended you? Like, how can you offend me and not be aware of my offense? And so then you explain to them what they did in detail with charts and graphs, maybe even a meme or an emoji or a gesture of two. And you know, what the, you know what's the worst? When you get offended and then they have the audacity to ask for forgiveness. Right, because it's bad enough when they deflect or make excuses or go into full-blown like whataboutism, like, well, what about when you did and the other day and you were mean, you know, like that that we do that, right? But but it's even worse when they have the nerve right there as soon as you tell them to ask for forgiveness, like right out of the gate. You're like, no, 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 no. You're not getting away with that. I've seen that move. I know how this goes. You ask for forgiveness right away, and now I have to forgive you. No. I need you to hold on to this a little bit longer. I need you to own this a little longer. We're not just gonna end this right here with you asking forgiveness. There's no way. Anybody ever been there? You ever been really frustrated with someone because they asked forgiveness and they were sincere? And you're just like, you think you're better than me. Because all of a sudden in that moment, the whole thing's back on you, right? It's not on them anymore. It was on them, but then they asked forgiveness and now somehow it's back on me. How in the world did this whole thing get flipped around? You're the one that offended me. How come now I feel all this pressure and stress and tension? How come I'm the one being responsible for what's happening here? Or have you ever said the words, but you didn't really own the reality? Like, have you ever just kinda, sorta forgiven somebody? Like when they ask for forgiveness and you don't wanna give it, you know, it's, you know it's wrong not to. And so you're just like, I forgive you. Anybody have kids? And you're like, tell them you're sorry. Apologize right now. And you're just like, sorry, you're dumb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're just like, yeah, well, that's, that's okay. Never mind. I'm going to punch you now. Like, I, 
But like, like, have you ever done that? Like we, we, we correct our kids, but have you ever, has somebody like come to you and tried, and you're just like, no, I'm not ready to, for this to be made right. And so I don't even know how to respond to you right now because I know you're doing the right thing, but also I'm angry and I'm hurt and I don't want this to just be over. Like you need to know it, you need to own it. And so you just sort of smooth things over on the surface and kind of go along to get along. And, and I mean, you want to forgive them eventually and move on, but just right now, you don't, you, you don't want to do that right now. And, and you may have even said or told them that you forgive them, but inside you're just still holding, holding on to that. Has that ever happened to you? And it's, man, me too. See, Jesus talked a lot about forgiveness. He taught about it. He told stories. He told parables about it. He lived it. He modeled it. But it wasn't just about us receiving forgiveness from God. In fact, most of the conversation, when you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, most of the conversations that Jesus is having with humanity and with his disciples and the people that are listening, most of it is is about us giving it to and receiving it from each other. See, because Jesus did not simply die so that you and I could be connected to God, but he died so that we could be connected to each other. Because unforgiveness polarizes and separates you not only from the person who hurt you, but it impacts all of your other relationships as well. Because what happens is when we're hurt, when we have that thing that happened to us and now we're holding on to it, now we're sort of off balance emotionally. And all of that emotion and all of that stuff that's going on inside of, it it can't help but spill out into every relationship in our lives. So towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives what we call, what came to be known as the golden rule. You probably know it. It says, where he said to do to others what you would have them do to you, which is a pretty good rule, right? Like that's good and wise and noble. It's a better way to live. In fact, you know, like we've talked about from time to time that following Jesus, you know, makes life better and makes you better at life. And this is one of those things where it's just like, yeah, that's, there's something inside of us that's like, yeah, that, that is good and right and wise. But most of the time, we don't live by that rule. Most of the time, we live by the iron rule, which is do to others as they have done to you. We don't have to try to live like that. That just comes naturally. Like, even though we know it's probably not the best way to live, it's just sort of intuitive. It's just how the world works, is that we treat other people and we do to other people what they have done to us. But then there's this other reality that emerges when we don't forgive because it doesn't just affect your relationship with that person. And it's not even a conscious decision that we make. But there's this sense when we have unforgiveness in our life that I'll take it out on you because I can't take it out on the person who hurt me. I'm gonna take it out on you because I can't take it out on the one who cheated on me. I can't take it out on the one who stole from me. I can't take it out on the person that betrayed me, that stabbed me in the back. And so when we don't forgive, it begins to lead to a reality where we do to others what someone else has done to us. And so in Matthew 18, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. In Matthew 18, 21, he says this. It says, Peter came to to Jesus and he asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And if you know anything about Peter, he's the guy that always says and does the wrong thing. He's the one who asks the awkward question. He's the guy that says what everybody else is thinking but too afraid to say. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. He's always in that situation where everybody's like, dude, Peter, like you said that out loud, bro. Like, 
Keep that to yourself. And so he comes to Jesus and he asks him this question. And, and Peter knows what Jesus is like. He knows that Jesus is always raising the bar on how we should live. And so he knows the answer is not going to be one. You know, he knows it's going to be more than once. And he doesn't want to be in the awkward position of saying something stupid again. So he goes big. How many times should I forgive them, Lord? Like seven times? Which, I mean, to be honest, when you think about it, like seven times is a lot. If somebody sins against you, like, like they really hurt and wound you really badly seven times. I'm not talking about the little stuff that's just annoying. I'm not talking about the stuff that you just get tired of. I'm talking about like they hurt you really, like they did something to wound you seven times. Like forget seven times. After a couple times, like you're just like looking for the door. You're just like, no, thanks. I don't need you in my life. So seven, seven is a lot. But then Jesus answers in verse 22. And he says, I tell you, not seven times. And you can kind of feel everybody go, all right, that's great. And Jesus continues, but 70 times seven. You know, almost see their faces, the jaws drop. See, Jesus wasn't actually setting a limit. He wasn't telling us, you know what, go home and keep a log. And as soon as you get to 490, you're good. No, he, he was intentionally being hyperbolic to make a point. What he was saying was, however many times you need to forgive, you have the power to forgive one more time than that. You need to forgive until the numbers run out. You need to forgive until it's way past reasonable. See, I have bad news for you this morning. Jesus was giving us an insight into human relationships where he's going, if you want to have healthy long-term relationships in your life, healthy long-term friendships, you better be ready to forgive because they're going to hurt and offend and wound and disappoint you and let you down and you're gonna do the same to them. And I mean, if it was a competition, you'd both win the gold. Like you guys would be the best at hurting each other and hurting other people and letting each other down. Like that's what this is because you will never have a relationship where forgiveness isn't needed and you'll never sustain a relationship where forgiveness is not given and there cannot be trust and vulnerability and intimacy in any relationship where forgiveness is not sought. See, the bad news is that you cannot have relationships without an endless journey of forgiveness. But the good news is, is that you have the capacity to forgive endlessly. There will never be forgiveness that is required of you that you do not have the capacity to give. That's what Jesus is saying. That your capacity for forgiveness is greater than their capacity for failure. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I know that like we feel uncomfortable because we have, we just have those people. We're just like, uh, I don't know. But you're not limited. I, I think it's incredible because God doesn't set an unattainable standard for us. See, because we're only limited by our own choices when it comes to forgiveness. See, there are some things that you have limitations on. Maybe you have a limited IQ. My, my favorite banner is this one up on the, anybody ever read that white banner up there? After church, read that white banner because it's basically like, look, kids are smarter than you. They're better looking than you. They have nicer clothes than you. They're better at sports than you, but you can be a nice kid. And I don't know, that just doesn't feel super like encouraging. I don't know why. I'm just like, it feels like, yeah, you're, you're not great, but be nice. Um, it, it feels like a consolation. Like, I don't know. Um, but, but, 
like, have you ever bumped into your limitations, right? Where, where you, you're, you're limited in your intellect, or maybe you have limited talent or limited height. I always wanted to be able to dunk a basketball, but it's never, ever going to happen because I'm limited in my height. Or you have limited athletic ability, which I'm also limited in. But have you ever been in a situation where you just kind of felt or pressed up against your own limits? But here, you have no limits. You are unlimited in your capacity for love. You are unlimited in your capacity to forgive. And so Jesus is saying, look, you need to forgive everyone, everything. Forgive more than you think is wise and faster than you feel is safe. To which we're just like, whoa. Let's just slow this down. In Luke 17, Jesus is having a related conversation with the disciples. Luke 17 and Matthew 18 are very, very much related and connected. In verse 3, Jesus is talking and he says, so watch yourselves. And I think it's so fascinating that Jesus is about to talk about forgiveness and the way that other people hurt us. But he starts with us. Like, you need to worry about yourself. So watch yourself. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back saying to you, I repent, you must forgive them. Now, notice that he said, if they sin against you. This is not you being offended on someone else's behalf. This is not you picking up someone else's offense, because there's a lot of that, right? But this is if they hurt you. And if they hurt you, this is the pattern. You go to them, and you have a conversation with them, and you give them a chance to make it right. And then when they make it right, you forgive them, and you move forward, and you're reconciled to that person. That's the Jesus pattern. That's what's healthy. But that's not usually the pattern that we follow, right? Like our pattern is usually like, okay, they hurt me. I'm going to tell everyone else except that person who hurt me. I'm going to get everyone else on my side and embittered towards that person. And then once I've rallied a giant army of haters towards them, one of them will go and confront them for me, forcing that person to come and talk to me about the situation. And I'm going to put the fact that they heard from a third party on them. Well, if you, if, that you only heard from somebody else because you were just such a huge jerk. Jesus says, even if they sin against you seven times in a single day. And I, I'm thinking, look, I might leave the room after three, okay? Like, let's just get some distance here. Three is the seven, in a day? Seven times in a day? Jesus says, if they sin against you seven times in a single day and they own it, you must, he uses the word must, you must forgive them. To which the disciples, this is their response. I love it in verse five. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Like, oh God, help us. That's terrible. We can't do it. I mean, of all the things that we think that we need more faith for, isn't it true? Like they're going like, if we're gonna love and forgive people like Jesus, oh my gosh, I'm gonna need, I'm gonna need some more faith. And, and it kind of makes sense, right? Because our thought process is this. When somebody hurts us, if they were serious, they wouldn't keep doing it. You do it seven times in a day, you're not really sorry. If you were sincere and truly repentant, you wouldn't keep hurting me. You would change. You would do something different. But them changing is actually just proof of them growing, 
which really isn't a condition that Jesus allows for when it comes to forgiveness. He doesn't say, look, okay, if they hurt you and then they change and promise to never do it again and they follow through and they grow and they get better, then you forgive them. No, he's like, if they, if they hurt you, they wound you, they offend you seven times in a day and they own it. Have you ever known somebody that's just trapped in a pattern of destructive behavior? But they would act out in ways and then but they would kind of just, I'm so, so sorry. And you're just like, yeah, I forgive you, but, <laughs> you ever done the I forgive you, but? See, that's why forgiveness takes faith. By the way, unforgiveness traps us in a destructive relationship with the person who hurt us. Unforgiveness destroys boundaries. Forgiveness creates them. Because when we have unforgiveness in our life, it, it actually shrinks our lives and traps us in that moment with that person, keeping us chained to what they did and how we feel. But forgiveness actually sets us free. It enlarges our heart, enlarges our lives. When we're offended, we immediately have an opportunity that we can get bitter or we can get bigger, that our lives can grow and we can move past what happened. I've never been more aware of this reality than when I was sitting in a courtroom with the man who murdered my stepmom. That he sat in a parking lot looking to prey on someone. He saw my stepmom drive into the parking lot. She was driving a Lexus. She got out of her parking lot. I got out of her car to walk into Macy's and had a coach purse on her shoulder. And so he thought she's old and she's weak and I'm gonna go take all of her stuff. And she came out of Macy's, was getting in her car. He went to grab her stuff. She screamed and fought back and he hit her right in the head with a bat. She lived for three days after that and died. There aren't a lot of people I've felt visceral hatred for in my life but I did for him. I, <clears throat> eventually, the DA was willing to take the death penalty off the table in exchange for him pleading guilty and saving everybody and sparing the trial, which he did. And so it came time for the sentencing and we went to the courthouse before he was sentenced, the judge allows um, for people to make victim impact statements. And the day before he had murdered my stepmom, he had assaulted another woman in a Wells Fargo parking lot with a hammer, struck her 34 times. She survived, and so her family was there. <clears throat> and I thought that moment, I thought that moment was going to feel really good, and it did not. Because the court, in those, especially in those kinds of situations, they give the victims a lot of leeway. They're supposed to be making a statement to the judge, to the court. Um, but a lot of times they let them address the defendant. And so there was a lot of yelling and screaming and name-calling and horrific things being said. And the judge having to rein it in multiple times. And <clears throat> Anybody seen the movie A Time to Kill? You know what I'm talking about, Matthew McConaughey? No? Never mind. All right. 
In that movie, a man has his daughter assaulted, raped, and he kills the two men who did it. He's on trial. They put him on the stand, and the DA is going after him. He's like, did those men deserve to die? Of course, he's on trial, so he's supposed to keep cool, but he says, yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. When I sat in that courtroom, I was thinking about that scene. I'd always been entertained by that scene. It's very compelling. It's a different, though, when you're sitting there and you're feeling those things about somebody else. Something about sitting in that courtroom, hearing all of those people say all of those things that I was thinking and feeling made me realize how badly I was in need of forgiving that person. Because it occurred to me sitting there that day that God doesn't hate William King. That God doesn't hate the people I hate. I hated him. God doesn't hate him. He hates what he did, but he loves him. So what do we do? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, pray like this. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I I don't know about you, but the conditional makes me nervous. I mean, how many of us want God to adopt our standard of forgiveness for the way that he relates to us? I know I don't. Uh, Then he goes on, though, and he actually drives home the point in verses 14 and 15, just a, a couple verses later. He says, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. See, I I don't know any other way to read what Jesus is saying other than that there is a dependent relationship between the forgiveness that I give other people and the forgiveness that I get and receive from God. I, I don't like that. I wish Jesus never said that. I wish it didn't work like that. But this isn't the only time where Jesus alludes to this idea. We, we didn't read part of the Sermon on the Mount, but in Matthew chapter 5 earlier, Jesus says that if we come to worship and pray and sacrifice and to make things right between us and God, but that in that moment, things are not right between us and someone else, that we need to stop what we're doing, stop our worship, stop prayer, stop sacrifice, and go find that person and be reconciled to them, that for things to be made right between us. In the Jewish calendar, between the Jewish New Year and, and what they, they call the Day of Atonement, and the Day of Atonement was the one day out of the year that everybody would go to the temple and that a sacrifice would be made for them, on their behalf, for them and their family, so that they would be put right, things would be put right between them and God as they went into a new year. But they allowed that 10 days, the reason they didn't do it on the first day of the year was because they allowed that 10 days for people to go and have things put right between them and other people. So that by the time they got to the day of atonement, that there wouldn't ever be a time where they got to that moment to make things right between them and God and things still be sideways between them and somebody else. See, this is not a a side issue for Jesus. It's at the core of his message. Forgiveness is the operating system for his movement. 
for how we relate to each other. So my question for you this morning is, who do you need to forgive? Whose forgiveness do you need to seek? A few years ago, I was working at a church, actually quite, quite a few years ago, I was working at a church, and it was not a great fit. Um, I was a youth pastor there. I was there for a couple of years, and it just ended all badly. Uh, things were not great between me and the pastor that I worked for, and, um, and he did not, he didn't handle it great. And so I ended up getting fired, and um, he said a lot of terrible things about me, to me, to other people. Um, and I moved on and we ended up moving and I worked at another church for a few years and we moved again and started another church and, and in 2010, um, it had been about eight years since I had worked for him. Uh, I was teaching about forgiveness and as I was standing on the stage, God was like, you need to have a conversation with him. And I was like, I haven't thought about him in years. Like, I, I don't, there's nothing there. Have you ever argued with God? Like, God, I, you got your wires crossed. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm good. Because that was not a conversation I wanted to have. But I knew I needed to have it. See, sometimes we just allow there to be distance and time. And, but inside we know that thing, that hurt, that wound that unforgiveness is still there. By the way, forgiveness is actually about the past. Reconciliation is about the present, and it's not always possible, and it's not always healthy. Trust is about the future and is earned. You can forgive someone without giving them all of your trust again. But I, I want you to hear this. Forgiveness only becomes possible when our hope for a better future exceeds our need for a better past. So often we're holding on to that thing that they did, that wound, that, that you took something from me, you cheated, you wronged me, you. And so we live there just, just full of so much anger that you did this to me. And it's got to be made right somehow. But it's behind you. There's no way for that moment to change. And it's only when your hope for the future gets bigger than your need to have that thing in your past put right that you actually begin to step into the freedom to forgive them. I did not want my life to be defined by William David King. In 1 John chapter 2, John, who's a disciple of Jesus, he says that when we don't forgive, when we harbor anger and bitterness and offense, he, he actually describes us as just stumbling around in the dark, that we're blinded by our unforgiveness, unable to find our way forward. And when I read that again this week, I was like, man, I have been there. And so I, I wonder, is it possible that the reason that you've just felt like you've been chasing your tail the last couple of months or maybe the last couple of years is because there's somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven? I, I wonder if you've been struggling 
to just connect with God like you used to. If you're just like, God, where are you? I, know, I believe in you, but I just can't feel you. I just, you're just not there like you used to. I, I wonder, is it possible that it's because that there's somebody that you have not forgiven? Is it possible that the reason that you feel like you've been stumbling around in the dark in your life at times is because you actually are, because unforgiveness has blinded you? And I want you to know that today is the day that God is inviting you to bring it to him and for you to actually begin to move towards forgiveness. See, forgiveness is actually, it's something that we decide, but then it's a process we move through. It still hurts. It may feel impossible. It's difficult, there's no doubt, but the best things in life are almost always on the other side of difficult things. What they did was wrong, whatever it was, The hurt that you experienced was great, but your capacity for love and forgiveness is greater than that failure and that hurt. And your healing can only begin when you decide to forgive and to let go and to be free. You can forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. And that's the best news of all. Because when we come to him and we confess our sin and we own our need, he is faithful and just to forgive us and completely cleanse us from all the wrong and sin and pain and brokenness and darkness in our souls. And because he has done that for us, we can step into our relationships with each other and we can forgive. Earlier we talked about that experience of just kind of forgiving someone. And the good news is this morning is that God doesn't just kind of forgive you. That he wraps his arm around you. That he brings you to himself. That he cleanses and wipes the slate clean. Let's pray together.